0: 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and then our questions and answers are on page 24, the back of the blue hymnal, we'll read the answers together, 2 Corinthians 4 beginning in verse 13, reading through chapter 5, verse 10. Let's hear God's holy word as he gives it to us. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident And know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Amen grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our Lord endures forever. Then page 24, Lord's Day 18, let's read the answers together of these four questions, thinking of the ascension of Christ. What do you mean by saying he ascended into heaven? that Christ, while his disciples watched, was lifted up from the earth into heaven and will be there for our good until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. But isn't Christ with us until the end of the world as he promised us? Christ is true man and true God. In his human nature, Christ is not now On earth, but in his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is not absent from us for a moment. If his humanity is not present wherever his divinity is, then aren't the two natures of Christ separated from each other? Certainly not, since divinity is not limited and is present everywhere. It is evident that Christ's divinity is surely beyond the bounds of the humanity he has taken on. But at the same time, his divinity is is in and remains personally united to his humanity. And then the main question we'll be considering tonight. How does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? First, He pleads our cause in heaven, in the presence of his Father. Second, we have our own flesh in heaven, a guarantee that Christ, our head, will take us, his members, to himself in heaven. Third, he sends his Spirit to us on earth as a further guarantee. By the Spirit's power, We make the goal of our lives not earthly things, but the things above, where Christ is sitting at God's right hand. It was about six months ago that the... Uh, reign in Japan switched hands. It went from one emperor to a new one, which doesn't happen all that often, that an emperor will still be uh, living and hand the throne to the successor, it was his son. I think the new emperor is Emperor Narahito. So about six months ago, there was the official coronation, but uh, interestingly enough, there was uh, another Ceremony that just happened and still another one that's going to happen later on in the month of November. Some of the history behind this, some of you may know this, General Douglas MacArthur, after World War II, allowed the emperor of Japan to stay on the throne in his reign, but he had to admit to the people of Japan that he was not divine because this was an emperor, like we've seen in various places in the world's history, emperors often claim divinity, that they are a god. I mean, think of even in the time of Jesus, Caesar is Lord was one of the common ways even people would, would greet each other. And so the, the, the proclamation that Christ is Lord w- went straight straight against that proclamation Anyways, getting back to Japan, one of the things that's interesting about these ceremonies as they are unfolding, and particularly the one that is still to come in November, is deeply rooted in the Shintao Japanese religion. And from the nature of this ceremony, what we know, and we don't know everything, but one of the things that is very clear is that they are still operating... As if this Emperor of theirs is himself a divine figure, and of course the 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 question is raised that that if the Emperor ever was divine, could a divine figure relinquish his divinity well no and I was listening to someone comment on these very things and comment was made, and I think it's absolutely right. What's going on here in Japan? This highly developed culture, uh, very technologically advanced, and yet here's this ancient religion. Here is their, their emperor who is essentially presenting himself as a divine figure to his people. What's going on there? Well, our hearts can't abide a truly secular space. Human beings are worshiping beings. And it's not only connected to the spiritual, but it often is. We, we have to worship something, and we will worship something. Also, the connection between ruling and reigning, and what we in our own, what's, what's written on our hearts, or what most people are given to, this sense that there is An invisible realm, and there are at least a god or gods, or whatever one may believe, we see that reflected in the way that we think about those who rule over us. Our hearts are so often assigning this divine status to those that we to human what human beings see ruling over them, whether it be an emperor or someone else. Very interesting. Another quite influential cultural figure, has recently said that he has come to a, a, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and just came out with an album called Jesus is King. And one of the things that's interesting about what he says is uh, as he comments on his new life and sort of what he's discovered, and I pray that his conversion is genuine, but he seems to have a very keen understanding that human beings serve Something or someone, some idol will exist in our hearts if we're not worshiping the one true God. So something is reigning over us. No matter what we want to admit, no matter what we may say, there is something that is ruling over us. And it is the call upon us to make sure that it is Jesus Christ and his reign that is most present and most real in our lives. Do we square enough with the fact that he is ruling and he is reigning even now? We're going to consider that tonight and particularly consider the other side of that, not necessarily uh, what to remind ourselves that we need to acknowledge the reign of Christ, but rather the benefits of Christ's reign for us. We know that he lived. For us, He lived bearing our sin and he went to the cross, but we need to remind ourselves that he still lives for us. He still lives for us. He ever lives for us. Remind ourselves of that as we consider particularly this last question and answer in our Lord's Day lesson today. And the first thing that we see, the blessings of Christ's ascension, what we mean by that is that when Jesus really was crucified and he really truly was raised from the dead and he really truly walked on earth for 40 days, there came a point in time in actual history where he really truly was raised up to the right hand of the Father and he lives and he reigns and he dwells there at the Father's right hand. In his human nature, he is in heaven. In his divine nature, he is in heaven and he is everywhere. Actually, we dealing with this lesson this morning uh, as our high school catechism class and the example given to us, I thought it was somewhat useful. It's like a light bulb, right? The light in a light bulb dwells in the light bulb, but it goes beyond it. That's one way we might think about the two natures of Jesus Christ. The divine nature dwells within the body of Jesus, but it's not confined there. It goes beyond it. Jesus in his two natures uh, as he rules and reigns, that's one way that we can think about it. But we see that the first blessing, the first way that the ascension of Christ benefits us is that he is our advocate. We read in, we read in 1 John chapter 2: My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. What is an advocate? Uh, Jesus being our advocate, it's part of his intercession, but it's a particular aspect of his intercession. And when we think about the, the ascension of Christ and the reign of Christ, uh, we, we need to know and understand that he is the one who intercedes for us. He is the one, Jesus is the one, who is living in heaven who is working in heaven and is the source for all that we need spiritually and materially in order to live for the glory of God. It's connected to the sovereignty of God, isn't it? If all things come from God's hand and everything is from him and as creatures we are dependent upon him, where do we get all that we need as the people of God? We are getting it from Jesus being our great intercessor. Hebrews chapter 7 says this, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Romans 8, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, and who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus, being our intercessor, means that he always asks the Father. is one of the things we talk about, the praying of Jesus. Jesus prays and intercedes for us. He will always ask the Father to grant us what we need, and the Father is always pleased to say yes to Jesus' requests. One author says this, that Jesus prays as one whose requests cannot be refused. So knowing God's sovereignty, knowing that God knows exactly what it is that we need, and Christ, being God, knows exactly what we need, he intercedes for us, asking the Father exactly what we need, that he would grant that to us so that we might live for the glory of God. That's the intercession of Jesus, that he prays for us, that he intercedes for us and asks the Father to give us exactly what we need. I was reading one theologian thinking about this, and he said, If I knew, or if I could hear Jesus praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies, and yet he prays for me just the same. If I heard him praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies, and yet he prays for me just the same. He intercedes for us, but he also is our advocate. And the adv- advocacy is his specific intercession for us on, behalf of our, uh, on our behalf because of our ongoing struggle with sin. He advocates for us so that uh, the, his, the price that he paid might continue to do its work in us. It's the perfect outworking of his matchless work of grace to us. Hebrews chapter 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens... our ongoing struggle with sin. We are cleansed, we are justified, we are made perfect in God's sight, but we still struggle with sin. And thus, Jesus Christ, as our great high priest, lives in heaven as our advocate with his work presented before the Father, which is a perfect work, and because of that, we never lose our status as children of God. He advocates for us in heaven. Now one way that we have to remind ourselves, one thing we have to remind ourselves of, is that Jesus being our advocate, it's not that he's dousing out the rising anger of the Father. It's not not as if you sin, the Father's wrath is kindled, and Jesus sort of comes on the scene, maybe takes him into the corner and calms him down. That's not what's going on. When we sin, God the Father does not well up in rage and wrath. That's not what happens. Rather, because Jesus' work is perfect, and because God and his character are perfect as the one who never changes, the Father is constantly delighted with this plea of forgiveness and this presentation of righteousness, and God can behold his people in light of Christ's work with mercy and eternal love. As far as our legal status as it relates to God, because of Christ advocating for us on behalf of our sin, the Father's wrath never wells up against us. He is our advocate. That has to do with our standing before God. That has to do with God as a judge When we think about God as a father, there are other issues we have to deal with, like the fatherly displeasure of God upon his children when we sin and when we stray from him. But with God acting as a judge, Christ is our advocate. The wrath of God never wells up against us. He is our advocate on behalf of our sin. A couple of applications that we can take from this first point. The first is this. We see very clearly in Scripture that we are to seek to walk in the light to please our Heavenly Father, to honor Christ our Savior, to keep in step with the Spirit. We are commanded to do all those things and to seek to do all those things. And yet, because of the advocacy of Christ, we are not to be filled with despair when we stumble and we fall short of those commands. We are to be filled with confidence that looks outside of ourselves, that looks to Jesus Christ, our great high priest, has all of our confidence in him, and we know that even if we've brought the displeasure of the Father upon ourselves, that God as judge will never be filled with wrath upon us. So because of that, we are to be filled with confidence as we approach our God in prayer. We are to have joy in confessing our sins to God knowing that God delights to continually renew us in forgiveness and that even though we do not seek to sin and we do not seek to increase our sin uh, the glory of Christ increases as his forgiveness is poured out again and again. He's our advocate. Secondly, we have our own flesh in heaven. That's the second benefit of Christ's ascension. Hebrews chapter six says this. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It's it's helpful to think about this in terms of the, the whole sweep of scripture. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve are banished from the garden, that's uh, one of the things we take from that is that we are banished from God's presence. We cannot dwell with Him. He is holy, He cannot be in the presence of sin. We were shut out from being able to commune with God spatially. We couldn't come close to Him because of our sin. He was able to deal with us and is able to deal with us in terms of the covenant, the covenant of grace and have us as his people covenantally, but spatially, there's now a problem. Jesus, coming to earth, living a perfect life, living as a human being, And going all the way to death, paying the price for sin, right? All the things that we've already traced in the catechism. He was the perfect savior. He was the only one who could have paid the price. He was the only one who could have borne the wrath of God. He was the only one who could have come out on the other side of death. Because of all that he has done in that way. Think about it like this. He has broken The glass ceiling. There was a glass ceiling above us that was disallowing us to enter into heaven with our bodies, with our persons, because of our sin. Human nature was not able to dwell with God in that way. But Jesus Christ, paying the price, Having that presented before the Father and in his resurrection, uh, Romans chapter 1 tells us that that was God's declaration, that Jesus was the Son of God. It was his presentation to the world. This is my Son, my righteous one. So Jesus is caught up into heaven. And he broke the glass ceiling to be able to be with God. So the Westminster Shorter Catechism has this really interesting phrase where it's talking about the two natures of Christ and it says, and so he was and continues to be both God and man. It's not just that Jesus was a human and then he was resurrected and he leaves his human nature behind. No, he was and continues to be God and man in two natures and one person forever. It's to be a comfort to us. That in heaven, even now, there is a man who acts on our behalf. He's a God-man, but he is a man. And it reminds us that one day we will be welcomed into heaven if we are in Christ, if we are united to that God-man. That was an impossibility coming out of the Garden of Eden. That was something that without Christ never would have been possible. But because of Jesus, he has made it possible. And that is to be a great comfort to us. Our flesh is in heaven. Now there, of course, the catechism is not speaking of sinful flesh. It's merely speaking of uh, our human nature. Jesus' body is glorified. It's fit for eternity. One day our bodies will be the same way. Christ is our head. And we are the body. The head will never be severed from the body. One day they will be in perfect union. He is our head and he is also our forerunner. He went before us to show us where we would go. John chapter 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. This isn't, this isn't just pie in the sky. I've, I'm sure I've shared this story with you before. When my younger sister was in the hospital with cancer, uh, hospital chaplain was making calls and going room to room, and he stepped into a room that maybe wasn't going to be as agreeable to some of his ideas as he was hoping. And he was talking to my little sister, who at the time was around 12 or 13. And my dad was sitting in the corner, uh, kind of remaining quiet, and the the chaplain was sort of talking to my sister and, um, you know, talking about what she's going through. And at that time, her life was probably more in the balance, more hanging in the balance. And my sister said, I have the comfort of heaven, that heaven is a place and that my Savior can bring me to that place. And the chaplain said something to the effect of, well, you know, some people believe that and some people believe that heaven is really more just kind of a state of mind. And uh, my sister said, but Jesus said that I go to prepare a place for you. And he said that it was a place. And so if Jesus says it was a place, then how can it just be a state of mind, and perhaps the pastor that was sitting quietly in the corner gave a little smile as this hospital chaplain was stumped. He goes to prepare a place for us, and he is in a place now. We will go to a place when we die, a place that our Lord has prepared. He broke the glass ceiling. Number three, the third blessing that we see of the ascension of Christ is that the Spirit is sent to us. The Spirit is sent to us. In Second Corinthians chapter 5, we read it uh, just earlier, it says, While we are in this tent, we groan in our burden because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident. Jesus Christ ascends, and as he told his apostles before he left, I am going, it's better that I go, because what I am about to give you is another helper. And this helper will make me present to you at all times. So that it won't just be me wandering through the earth with my human nature, it will be me always with each and every one of you. Through the Spirit. Jesus ascended into heaven and he presents his work. And because his work was so perfect, he receives from the Father this blessing of the Spirit anew. Psalm 45 is fulfilled when Christ ascended into heaven. It says this, your throne, O God, is forever and ever The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of righteousness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Jesus went up into heaven. He presents his work to the Father. The Father endows him with the Spirit. And it's like it washes over Jesus, just like the oil of gladness, so that it runs off of him and to all of his people. So in Acts chapter 2, we read, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He pours out the Spirit. And that Spirit acts as a guarantee, but that Spirit also, the Holy Spirit, is also given to us so that we might receive mercy and grace at the time, at our time, of need. Hebrews chapter 4, as we read earlier, we have this great high priest who has gone through the heavens. Therefore, let us hold fast our confession. How do we hold fast our confession? How do we hold fast unto Jesus Christ? How do we not get uh, uh, swayed into error? How do we not leave the truth of the gospel? It's by the power of the Spirit. And through the power of the Spirit, we hold fast our confession And as we hold fast our confession, knowing that Jesus Christ is reigning and ruling in heaven, he is interceding interceding for us, he is advocating for us, he's washing the Spirit down upon us, then we are sure that we will receive mercy and grace in the time of need. Christ bestows the Spirit upon us to give us both blessings for our good and to give us gifts for the good of others. One particular example that we might look to is the example of Stephen in Acts chapter 7 a man who held fast to his confession and he did not sway he continued to proclaim and cling to Christ and he stood for Jesus Christ and as Stephen is getting stoned uh, for his confession of Christ he looks up into heaven, and what does he see? He sees Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father, not sitting, but standing. It's the only time that we read about Jesus standing. The way that I think we are to understand that is that Stephen By the power of the Spirit, because he was trusting in Christ, and because Christ was at the right hand of the Father, knowing exactly what Stephen needed, poured out his Spirit so that Stephen might hold fast his confession, so that he might receive mercy and grace in the time of need. He held fast to his confession. He stood for Jesus. He confessed him before men. And because of that, Jesus stood for him. And Jesus was able to confess him to his Father. And to look at that servant, Stephen, who is holding fast to his confession of Christ. May it be said of us, brothers and sisters, that we hold fast to our confession of Christ. That we would never, ever leave our king, our king who is reigning. We have to worship someone. We have to serve someone. We know who is reigning and ruling as the king of kings. May we always hold fast our confession knowing that we will receive mercy and grace in the time of need. You know, Stephen didn't live for very long after that, did he? But he was still in the grip of Jesus. And Jesus knew exactly what he needed at every moment. And when that moment came, when Jesus knew what Stephen needed was to be whisked up into the presence of Christ, he prayed to the Father and he said, let his time on earth come to an end. And that's when it did, and Stephen was ushered up into the presence of his Savior. So since we have that great high priest, the one who has passed through the heavens, the one who has gotten to where we would never have been able to go, let us hold fast our confession so that we might find mercy and grace in our time of need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for these glorious truths. And we pray that we would continue to look to and trust in our great high priest, Jesus Christ, who ever lives to make intercession for us and who pours out the Spirit upon us that we might receive exactly what we need, exactly. When we need it. So we trust in him. And we trust in your sovereignty. As that is worked out from heaven. For you know all things. And we do not. Give us hearts that are able to trust you. Each and every step. In Christ's name. Amen. So let's.